You're listening to The Brook in Madison, Alabama. Good morning. Hello, hello. Well, I don't know if any of you are like me, but I hate to cook. Um, Not because I don't like home cooking. It is the best way to go. Um, But because I'm just that bad at it. I mean, I could probably mess up a hot pocket if it was possible. And to give you an idea of how bad I am, um, just a couple of weeks ago, Kelly gave me uh, two very simple tasks to accomplish when I um, got home from work to help finish preparing all our dinner while she went and took care of Sawyer and Tucker and Finley Mac. The first very simple task was when the potatoes for the potato soup got soft enough, I was to smash them as small as humanly possible. And the second and final task was to put the block of cream cheese in the soup and stir it until it is completely melted. I mean, pretty simple, right? I mean, it doesn't take someone um, watching the Food Network to know how to do those things. (laughs) That is, unless you or me. Um, Very soon afterwards, um, I was running to ask Kelly if I had just messed up our dinner. You see, I nailed the smashing of the potatoes so much. I I believe Paula Dean would have been proud of me and said, how did you do this? Because you used two utensils to accomplish this easy task. But then it came time to put in the cream cheese and thinking that Kelly had gone ahead and laid out the block of cream cheese so I wouldn't mess it up. I decided I did not need to look at what that block was right next to the stove. I mean, total guy thing, right? We, we always do that. So I just chunked that bad boy in there and I began to stir it and it begins to melt. And then very quickly, I noticed something is wrong with our soup because the soup is separating. That's not natural. And so then it looks like an oil spill is taking place. And afterwards, I'm realizing I have just created maybe the first cleansing soup on the market. I mean, it would have gone right through you, okay? And so after talking with Kelly... I realized that I'd made a major mistake. I had put the bar of Crisco. Who would have thought? A bar of Crisco in the, in the soup instead of the bar of um, cream cheese. And uh, as you can imagine, um, the soup was ruined. We still made our boys eat it. You know, we're not going to make it go to waste. Eat that stuff. Um, but we didn't eat it. And it, it was all because um, I botched one simple task. And I put one ingredient that should have never gone in to the soup. And just like that day when I ruined the soup because I added one thing, one that should have never gone into the soup in the first place, man, whether it's been out of pride or fear, has always tried to add to the gospel ever since sin came in and distorted everything. We could point to the prosperity gospel or to the argument that man makes that Jesus is not the only way, all the way to where man adds to the gospel in order to condone sins that the culture accepts out of fear of being labeled or persecuted. But probably one of the major ways that man has always tried to add to the gospel is man has said it is the gospel, it is Jesus, but it's also our works that give us a right standing with God. We have some part in it. And this is where we find ourselves as we come to our text in Galatians 2. Paul, we see, is recounting to us a confrontation that he has had with Peter. 
Peter, because he fears God or fears man rather than God, he sends a mixed message to the Jews and the Gentiles. When he removes himself from eating with the Gentiles and he goes back to the old Mosaic law and the dietary customs in Antioch. As you can imagine, the Jews and the Gentiles, when they see this, they begin to question, is the gospel really enough. After all, looks like Peter's going back to adding to the gospel. Maybe we do, or we need to as well. We need to add to it. Maybe the Mosaic law or circumcision or the dietary customs in order to be saved. So Paul sets Peter straight and reminds Peter, do not add to the gospel. The gospel is sufficient enough. And the problem with all of man's attempts to add to to the gospel, whether they do it out of possibly good intentions, they think, or they try to tweak it just a little bit, is that when, when man does that, even just a little bit, it starts to play with the gospel. It robs the gospel of its power. And actually, you have no gospel to stand on. It really just becomes a sad story. And if that's the case, then man still sits condemned before a holy God, still stuck in their sin and still destined to be eternally separated from a gracious and loving and good God. But praise the Lord that the simplicity of the gospel, no matter how man tries to add or revise to it, or the culture tells us that we're narrow-minded and we need to broaden our horizons, the gospel, the simplicity of it always remains, remains which says it is by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone that saves. I mean, no one understood this more than, than the apostle Paul, a man that before he converted to Christ, he persecuted the church because he felt like the church was opposed to the old covenant was going to destroy everything. But on top of that, we see that Paul was blameless when it came to obeying the law. He was faultless. Yet everything, as we all know, changed that day when he encountered God on the road to Damascus. It was at that point that he realized there was no way he could be good enough. There was no way he could be blameless enough, no matter how much he thought he was. And that's why he said after he came to Christ in Philippians 3.8, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. And now the most important thing to Paul is the gospel and he will do anything to make sure that no one adds to or subtracts from the gospel. And there's no better place to see the importance of the gospel to Paul than in this confrontation he recounts to us that he has with Peter. So if you have your Bible, open it with me to Galatians 2. Galatians 2, where we will be looking at verses 15 through 21. And this morning we will see Paul reminding Peter, but also reminding us of the simplicity of the gospel. And yet while it's simple, so many times do we get it wrong. So let's read verses 15 through 16 of Galatians 2. Paul says, We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus. 
in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. And it's in these first two verses that Paul reminds us and reminds the Galatians as well as Peter of two simple truths of the gospel. But man, do we get them wrong many times. The first truth of the gospel is that the gospel is for all people. Paul says, look, Peter, we both know we are Jews. We're not like the Gentiles. And it's important we understand that Paul wasn't justifying the Jew and saying the Jew had never sinned, but the Gentiles, though, they were, they were complete sinners. Rather, Paul is talking about how the Jews viewed the Gentiles socially. To be born a Jew was a wonderful thing to be part of God's chosen people. On top of that, the Jews had God's divine law, but the Gentiles, on the other hand, uh, not so much. They didn't have God's divine law, and so they didn't care about God's law, and because of it, they lived however they wanted to live. They hung out with unclean people, and they ate unclean food, and when the Jews saw this, they labeled the Gentiles a sinner. But Paul reminds Peter, whether they are Jew or whether they are Gentile, whether they have God's law or not, regardless of how we view them socially, regardless of culture, it it has no bearing because the gospel is for all people. Something Paul and Peter both knew because just like the Gentiles, they had to be justified by faith. It wasn't by their works and how they measured up to the Mosaic law. The truth that Paul reminded Peter of that day, it still should be great news to us that the gospel is for all people. It's the same for the African-American as it is for the Caucasian. It's the same for the Asian as it is for the Indian. It's the same for the rich as it is for the homeless. The gospel has no boundary. It's not limited by lifestyles. It's not limited by culture. It is for all people. And while I believe we agree that this is true, and we will say amen like we should when we hear that, I just wonder if we took a second to examine how we live daily. Maybe even some of the beliefs that we have or views we have towards groups of people or a certain person that we don't like, would we still answer with a resounding yes that the gospel is for all people? So let me ask you, and you don't have to answer out loud, but do you believe that the gospel is for your coworker? Do you believe he's for your next door neighbor, or your family member? And I imagine we would answer with a resounding yes, absolutely, the gospel is for them. But let's take it a step further. Do you believe that the gospel is for those that persecute Christians, one that it seems like we see every week on the news? And do you believe that the gospel is for those that harm and hurt innocent people? Our tendency, or or at least mine, I should say, is to say, absolutely, I agree that the gospel is for the people that are like me, the people that have the same values, that have some of the same beliefs as I do. I believe it's for them, but those that hurt innocent people, that persecute my brothers and sisters in Christ, well, not so much. They get what they have coming to them. And the reason why you and I do that is we we like to play judge, don't we? I mean, we like to wave the gavel. And so what happens is we start weighing people's social status, uh, people's race. We We start weighing their works and then we put it against another group of people. And then we place it on a scale and then we play God. 
And we get to decide and and pick and choose who the gospel is or isn't for when God has never asked us to play judge. He simply said, go to the ends of the earth and make disciples. Here's the truth that we see from the gospel. Regardless of if it's the next door neighbor, if it is the criminal or a family member, they actually are all equal in God's eyes. One is not better than the other because all of them sit condemned and left in their sin without Christ and they are in need of a savior. And if that is true, which it is, then it means we, as the bride of Christ, better be about going and fulfilling his command and penetrating the darkness with the good news of the gospel, not building up a wall all around us and playing it safe because, well, the world's abrasive and we don't want to be labeled and and we're going to pick and choose who the gospel is for and who will receive it the right way. The gospel is all for all people, so we better be about penetrating the darkness and do what Chad said so perfectly last week is transform the culture around us. But Christians don't transform culture by just being loving and being nice and throwing some humanitarian aid at things. Those are all good. But Christians transform culture because they have the gospel. And when prisoners and homeless people and when people in corporate offices encounter the gospel, encounter Jesus, everything changes because Jesus changes everything. And so the gospel is absolutely for all people of all races, of all backgrounds and lifestyles. And one day when our faith becomes sight and we see Jesus, we will see exactly what John saw that he recounts to us in Revelation 7, 9 through 10. He says, after this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the lamb clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. This news should well up within us a desire to worship our great God, but also to make his name famous to every people group across the ends of the earth. But Paul doesn't stop there. He doesn't stop at that simple truth that the gospel is for all people, one that we know. He goes on to a second truth. He says the gospel is justification by faith alone. We see in those same two verses that Paul reminds Peter and tells him, hey, Peter, remember, we were declared righteous because of our faith in Jesus Christ. We were not made right and, and declared righteous because of anything that we had done, our works, or how well we had measured up to the Mosaic law. Peter, remember that the law was powerless to save us and we still sit condemned by the law. We could only come into right standing by putting our faith in Jesus. It's important we understand that Paul under, uh, Peter understood this. Peter knew this truth. He knew the only way he could be justified was through faith. Paul tells us that, that they both agreed with that. But Peter caved because he feared man rather than God. And so he went back to that mosaic system and building upon it. And and if Peter, an apostle, 
one who walked with Jesus, the founder of the church, could be tempted to even try to add to the gospel. You better believe if we are not careful and we don't rest in the fact that we are saved by faith, something we all know, we too will go back to our man-made ladder just like Peter did, where each rung, each step is another effort for us to get closer to God. As if it gives us a bargaining chip before God and God's going to go, hey man, you are really close, so come on in. And the problem with this man-based salvation that's based off of our works is it really never accomplishes what we want it to. I mean, we're always left going, am I good enough? I need to do this one more thing and maybe I'll get in right standing with God. It also never deals with our sin. It never deals with our guilt or our pride. Rather, this man-based salvation by works is really all about praising ourselves rather than our glorious Savior because we had a part in saving ourselves. So this is why Paul reminds Peter and reminds us that we are justified by faith in Jesus alone. So what is it? What is justification by faith? Well, let's define it this way. Justification by faith is the gracious and legal act of God by which he declares a sinner righteous only through faith in Jesus Christ. Let me say it again. Justification by faith is the gracious and legal act of God by which he declares a sinner righteous only through faith in Jesus Christ. This wasn't the only place that Paul talked about the doctrine of justification. If we looked in Ephesians or Hebrews, we would see it there. But if we flip over to Romans 3 and we look at verse 23 through 28, we see Paul really explains very clearly what this doctrine of justification by faith is. So look with me at Romans 3, starting in verse 23. Paul says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. No one can come on their own right standing and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Justification by faith is key to understanding the gospel because it is the gospel in a nutshell. As the great Martin Luther would say, it is the doctrine upon which the church stands or falls. And because of that, I want to take a few minutes and highlight the power that we see in this definition and exactly what we are saying, uh, saying and exactly what Paul is saying in Romans. First of all, our definition in Paul, and also Paul said, it is the gracious act of God. Justification is all about grace. It's not about because we earned it or because of our merits or somehow our trophy case, so to say, was filled with all these amazing works that we could bring before God. And he's going, okay, I got to let you in. We know that our rightful payment for our sin is death. Romans 6, 23 tells us that. 
But justification is the gracious act of God where God acts on our behalf and gives us this amazing, precious gift, a gift that we as wretched sinners absolutely do not deserve. Justification is the gracious act of God. Justification is also the legal act of God. That word justified is a legal term, which means to declare righteous or to be found not guilty. And in this passage in Galatians 2, in just two verses, verses 15, or 16 and 17, it's mentioned four times. Obviously, Paul is stressing the importance that we have to be justified. And there's only way, one way you can be justified. Remember, it's a legal term. And the only way you and I can be justified is by a judge. And God being the one true rightful judge over the universe, after all, it is his and it's made for his purpose. We stand before him and he looks at us and he says, I declare you not guilty and I declare you righteous. And this justification is a one-time deal. It's not a continual process that we have to work at or when we see our sin, we need to go, oh, I need to run back over to God and stand before him and ask him to declare me righteous again. No, no, when God says, I declare you righteous, not guilty, it's a period on the end of it. It's over and it's done with, one-time deal. A great transfer at that moment has taken place where our sins, past, present, future, Jesus has bore on the cross and he's faced the wrath of God so that you and I could be declared righteous before him. But how are we declared righteous? Well, Paul in our definition would say it is through faith in Jesus Christ. Everything revolves around faith. That's why it is so important. It's only by faith can you come. And some of us may ask, well, why is it by faith and not some other avenue like our works? That would have been a good option. It's because faith is the exact opposite of self-righteousness. Self-righteousness, we all know, it's all about you. You don't need God. You're good. You've got it covered. But when you come in faith, what in essence you are saying is, God, I realize I'm a wretched sinner. And I realize no matter how, try, how good I try to be and climb that ladder, I can never be good enough. And I'm tired, I'm done, and so I surrender. I realize I'm justified by faith in your son. Let me paint it to you this way. Let's just imagine for a second that we find out or we realize we're guilty of many crimes, crimes we know we have committed. As the saying says, the blood is on our hands. And so our day in court, when we face the judge, the judge asks us and he says, how do you want to plead? And we plead guilty. And right, as the ju- right before the judge comes down with that gavel and he declares us guilty and then he reads us our sentence, the rightful punishment that we deserve for the crimes that we've committed, our attorney, being a great attorney, kind of pushes us back and says, hey, listen, judge. I know my client is guilty. Boy, do I know he's guilty. You should have heard everything else he told me about. But, but I want to take his punishment. I, I want to take it. And so the judge looks at him and goes, are you sure? Do, do, you, do you understand what that means? That, 
the punishment will now be placed on you and your client who is guilty will now absolutely go scot-free and will no longer hold any guilt. And the attorney says, yes, I do. Please read me his sentence. This is justification by faith. This is what Christ has done on our behalf. The spotless, innocent lamb of God was led to the slaughter because he loved us so much and he bore our sin and the wrath of God for our sin that we deserve so that you and I could be clothed in his righteousness and his righteousness alone if we come by faith. And it's important that we have a right understanding of this amazing doctrine, justification by faith, regardless of our age. Because not only is it the gospel and it determines if we truly have a right understanding with God or a right standing with God and because we're saved by faith. But it also really determines how we will live out the Christian life. Which leads us to the final truth that Paul reminds us about the gospel. Since the gospel transforms, it allows us to live a life of gratification, not guilt. And so if we were to flip back over to Galatians 2, we would pick up where Paul left off in verse 17, where he says, but if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners. Is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Paul warns in this passage to not go back to the old system because if the old system was possible to save us, then Christ's death was pointless. But then he goes on and says, it's because you have been justified and declared righteous and found not guilty. It allows you to live out a transformed life, which is what the gospel does. It doesn't allow you to live however you want to live because you're forgiven and just live a life of lawlessness and think sin is no big deal because sin is absolutely still a big deal to God because he's called us to be holy as he is holy. So it doesn't allow us to live how we want to live, rather it transforms us. And you see, the Judaizers back then would have pointed to that. They would have said, see, there go the Christians again. They, they say they don't need the law. And so that means that they can live a life of sin however they want. And Paul says, by no means. If that's the case, it makes Jesus out to be a liar. Rather, Paul says the gospel transforms because it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. You, you died to your sin. You died to your old way of doing things. You died to plain God. Your sins forgiven, your life changed forever. And now we can say with Paul, the life I live, I live by faith in the son of God. And this faith, it isn't just a one-time deal that we use when we're justified and then it's done. No, it, it continues because our faith daily allows us to live out our salvation. 
I mean, every day I have to choose to live a life of faith on what Christ has done on my behalf. And when I do that, when I live a life of faith and say, Jesus, it's only by you that I have a right standing with you, it allows me to live a life of gratification, a life of grateful response to him for what he has done. But too many times we see our sin and we move back into a place, not of conviction over our sin, of repentance and turning, but we move into a place of guilt where we begin to listen to the lies of the enemy And we begin to think there's something that must be wrong to me. Maybe I said the prayer wrong as if the prayer had some power in and of itself to save me. Maybe I need to go up front and get saved again. And it's because we're resting in our guilt. And the reason we rest in our guilt is because we miss what Paul reminded us about in in that passage. Do not build upon the old system. So we go back to it's our works plus the gospel that saves us. Too many people mess up this doctrine of justification by faith because somehow they take it to the extreme and they think that it means that they've been made fully righteous. And when they think that, what that means is that they've been made completely perfect. They will sin no more. But then when they walk out the doors and they start sinning, they realize, man, something must be wrong with me. And so then guilt and despair set in. Brother, justification by faith is we have been declared righteous one time deal. Not because we've been fully made righteous. That doesn't happen until we see Christ Jesus face to face. And what happens when we rightfully understand this doctrine of justification by faith, that it's only by faith in Christ I can come and be saved. When we sin, which we will, No longer do we have to be entrapped in our guilt and enslaved to it, beating ourselves up, but we can rest assured that when God the Father looks at us, he says, no, I see my son. Chip is no longer guilty. Chip is a friend of God because of my precious son's blood that was shed for him. He is mine. He is forgiven. Let's just go back to that courtroom for a second. After they read the sentence to the attorney and they handcuff him and they take him off, they ask you to take a step forward and the judge says, listen, I I want you to think about what happened today. Because in my courtroom, this has never happened before. An attorney taking the place of a criminal. So I want you to think about what's happened today. But then on top of that, I want you to think about how you're going to live when you walk out these doors. Because it it should affect how you live. And you can have one or two choices. You can live in a life of guilt over what just happened and beat yourself up that the attorney took your place. Or you can live a life of continual gratification for what the attorney has done for you. He has taken your place. And as far as I'm concerned, when you walk out of this courtroom, you are no longer guilty. You have no record of wrong. I don't know many people that will leave the courtroom that day and go, yep, I'm just going to sit in my guilt. I'm just going to beat myself up. No, I believe the majority of people would live a life of gratification and would proclaim what their attorney has done to anybody that would listen. 
because they're so grateful that he has taken their place. And this, for Christ followers, is exactly what Christ has done on our, in our place. He has taken our sin, or the rightful punishment we deserve. So that we could no longer have to face the wrath of God, no longer have to be eternally separated from him, but so that we can know him and walk in this abundant life here and now, and that we could be declared righteous, not guilty. This is the amazing truth of the gospel. And it's huge. We understand the gospel transforms you. It absolutely changes you. Do you see it in your life? Is it evident? You know, my my fear is this morning we will leave here and we will think, well, Chip was right. That was simple. I've heard that endless times. And so we kind of walk out of here, just ho-hum, no big deal. I I was really hoping for some new nugget that I could tweet about when in in reality, this is the greatest news. This is the simplicity of the gospel that so often we mess up or we dilute or we add to. The gospel is for all people. The gospel is justification by faith alone. It's the only way you can come to know him. And the gospel transforms your life so that you can live a life of grateful response to him, not one out of duty. This news is one that's worth sharing. It's one that, that we can't just hide and pick and choose because the, 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 the consequences are too great. This should be a news that, that we preach to ourselves over and over again. We're going, I was a wretched sinner in need of a savior. And Christ Jesus took my place so that I could know him and be declared righteous. It's worth telling our kids about and it's worth shouting out, the, out from the rooftops that Jesus alone saves. And it's only by faith you can come. And so maybe some of you, you know this this morning. My hope and my prayer is that you will boast in the cross. You will boast in Jesus who loved you and died for you and you will make his name famous. That's my prayer. That you will let the simple truth of the gospel transform you. But maybe there's some of you that go, I don't know this Jesus. I'm just like Paul before he converted to Jesus. I'm still trying to base it off of my works and I'm just quite frankly exhausted. Well, today can be the day of your salvation. And that is my prayer is that you would nail it down today. And if you want to talk with someone, we will have pastors in the back at these tables to your back left that would love to talk with you. Jesus alone saves. Jesus changes everything. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we we thank you this morning for the simplicity of the gospel. Father, that we are saved by faith through your Son, And that it was a gracious act. It wasn't something that I deserved and it wasn't something that was a process that I had to try to obtain. But God, being dead in in my sin, deserving to be eternally separated from you, 
You sent your son because you love me and he took my place. He took my punishment so I could be declared righteous and so that I could know you and stand before you clothed only in your precious son's righteousness. God, forgive us when we try to subtract from the gospel. Forgive us when we try to hide it and make it like it's no big deal or it's just ours to keep and and just to think about. But God, would you remind us that the gospel is for all people and maybe there are some in here that, that resent people for the way they treat people or they persecute Christians. God, may it be that we, remind, we are reminded that the gospel is for all people and it can save a terrorist, it can save a prisoner, and it can set their life completely free and radically change them because you change everything when they encounter you. God, may it be that when we leave here, we boast in the cross of Christ. We boast in your saving work. And Lord, if there's someone in here that doesn't know you, I pray that today would be the day of their salvation, that they would not delay it or put it off for another day. God, we thank you that in you, we have victory and we have life. Thanks for listening to The Brook. If you'd like more information about our church or what it means to follow Christ, you can visit our website at thebrookchurch.com.